if these retailers started making these commitments, like what would happen? How would that change the American economic landscape? So I pulled out my phone. I opened the notes section in my phone, which I think is like where most of our brilliant ideas are housed. And I'm just typing out all the the thoughts that I'm having around this idea of 15% and the commitment that they could make. And so I screenshot that and I posted it to Instagram an hour after I had the first conversation with her. And I tagged a bunch of retailers that I thought could do a good job of committing to buying more black product and trying to get to 15% shelf space. Um, so I put that on Instagram and I closed my phone and that was the Saturday and I woke up on Sunday and there was a lot of inbound about it. People were texting me and calling me. And so I called my same web designer that I love and we stayed up overnight and built a website out for the idea. We launched a petition that Monday at noon by like Tuesday. We had, I think a hundred thousand signatures. And on Wednesday, I registered it to become a nonprofit. And on day 10, Sephora became the first major corporation to commit. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. How was your uh, how was your event? It was good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I love my friend. He's yes. like the most talented person ever in the world, yeah. right? It's just so hard it's because hard. the differences that exist between male and female designers are so vast, Ooh. right? It's like even for me to show up to his event and wearing a full gown with an underwire cup and like feel bad that right. I didn't go through full glam. Right. And he's literally wearing the same thing that he's always wearing, which is like jeans and cowboy boots and like some like jean shirt. You're so right. You know? You're so right. Yeah. And I never think about that. No, it's crazy. There's another um, designer who's a man, Brandon Maxwell, who's like one of my best friends. And like, I'm like, Brandon, like, what are you wearing to the Met this year? And he's like, my Tom Ford tux that I wear every, <laughs> every year. Every year, same thing. You know? yeah. And it's like the pressure as a woman yes. to have to show up and be like this perfect representation of yes. your brand yes. is like a whole other job. Right. Well, you know, it's funny. It's like I'm going through something really similar with this work of I don't really wear – this is very random, but yeah, 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 go yeah, down yeah. this rabbit hole with me. I don't really wear makeup in life. Uh-huh. I'm not a makeup person. Uh-huh. I maybe do a brow. Uh-huh. I just – I don't really like yeah. it. I'm not very good at it. Same. So just like don't do it. Mm-hmm. But then anytime I've been on camera, traditionally I have hair and makeup done and I'm – the older I get, the more I'm struggling with that feeling like I'm not showing up as my authentic self. Uh-huh. And I, I'm like, why? Why do I have to put on makeup to have a verbal conversation with someone? It feels right. weird. So I'm like slowly – peeling back, getting less and less makeup. And I'm like, why don't, bro, why don't you just go on camera and and just be yourself? Like who actually cares if you have foundation on or not? And that has nothing to do with you wearing a beautiful dress, but no, 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 it it actually has exactly, it's the exact same conundrum, right? Because it's like you feel, well, there's a whole other thing too, where 
sometimes you feel like if you don't put in the effort to put makeup on, then the other person's going to feel like you don't right. care. Right. Or yes. you're not putting in the effort. You're yes. just phoning it in. Yes. And and for me today, literally I was like, oh my God. Like I looked at the calendar today when I got up and I was like, I'm going to this lunch. I'm doing this with you. And I was like, I probably should have like had someone do right. my makeup. Right. And I'm an only child and the daughter of like an extreme hippie. So the, <laughs> the best that it's ever going to yeah. get is like, what I did, which was like my little like Danessa Myricks like color thing, which like you can see there's colors on my finger, but like I just like I'm like eh, eh, cheek, eh, lip, yeah. like and that's yeah. like all, and I t- might brush my hair, right? But it honestly then looks like a vibe, like it looks like you were going for this like <laughs> stunning skin, amazing dress. Did you just have it in your closet, or was this no, is this his? No, it came like in the UPS this oh, morning. Okay. Yeah, it was yeah. his. Okay, yeah. well it's beautiful. You did yeah, a great he did job. a great job. Well, here we are. Well, thank you We've for that it. compliment, yeah, by the of way. Because it, it still feels like um, like to you what you're seeing is, is like, oh, it's a vibe. It's working for yes. you. Like the hair yes. is messy or whatever. Yeah. And to me, I'm just like, oh, like I'm the frazzled girl that's like showing up. Oh, no way anyone hmm. thought that. There's no way. It's too pulled together. It looks with like with the jacket and the whole thing. I, I swear I'm not just kissing your ass. That's I would, really nice. I would thing. just be like, yeah, it's fine. But <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're okay. like, it's okay. I want to be that when I grow up. <laughs> How are you? I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm okay. What's, yeah. What's feeling okay right now? What's feeling? 2023 is like. Okay. Yeah. Tell me about this year. How's it Well, going? I just think like, you know, everyone's like, well, now that the pandemic is over or whatever. And it's like, oh, I guess it is, right? We're just blocked it out of our right. mind. We're it's pretending like, it didn't happen even right. though it fucked us up in 50 different ways. But Totally. Yeah, sure. It's just like out of sight, out of mind, like no one's really processing it, but everyone's acting crazy. Yes. How do you feel like people are acting crazy in your world or industry? (sighs) Everyone feels just a little bit unsettled. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when I talk to people, it feels like there's like an ache within them that I can't put my finger on Mm -hmm. because they probably can't put their finger on it either. Yeah. But it's like a feeling of both unfulfillment and loss that sort of collide against each other. Yeah. And then that meshed with the constant feeling of like having to present as having it buttoned up Yeah, is a crazy kaleidoscope. Right. I also wonder what it does to us that we're like trying in some areas to kind of go back to the way it was and then also trying to forge a new path. And also, what does this even... I think about something like social media, which Mm -hmm. if you have a brand, if you have a show, if you have that you're putting content out. And I do put content out. But today I was like, God, I I don't think I've posted in a week and a half or something. Right. Because I just am like... I don't, which was an old mentality and an old way of doing things was, okay, now I'm going to show what's happening in my life. But it all just sort of feels like, I don't care about that the way that I once did, which I think is probably healthy. But then sometimes I worry if, you know, are you able to like still be relevant and have a message and do all of these things if you're not playing by rules. So do you think that's a you thing or do you think that's a where the culture is heading thing? I wish it was where the culture was heading. Uh Like I actually wish for everyone as human beings, my children or my friends, that we didn't feel a pressure to show up in that space as much. But I think it might be a me thing. So I don't really see that amongst um, my friends or my teenagers. I, I feel like if anything, I keep hearing all these warnings from doctors that are like, what's the number one thing you can do for your health right now? And they're like, 
you have to interact with humans. Mm. And I, a doctor said that on the show once, and I was like, I mean, obviously. And he's like, no, it's a it's a real problem that people are very like they're living life in their phone yeah. as opposed to in real life. Well, yeah. When you, if, I don't know if you've gone to like a concert or anything lately. It's like yes. people are watching it through their phone, yes. like they're recording it and staring at their yes. screen instead of staring at the actual. Yeah. 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 I, I um, have these dinner parties at my house where I ask everyone to leave their phone at the door. Smart. And it, I always try to do like groups of people and individuals that don't know each other, right? Just to kind of foster conversation and like remember, like, right. what's it like to smell a new person? <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that feeling yeah. when you like hug someone you've never hugged before or brush by someone. Like I met a, a woman the other day for the first time and I was like so captivated by her. Mm. And I was, was like, me? I, <laughs> also you, <laughs> you know, but I was like, wow, like there's people that can just like surprise you and take your breath away at, at first glance. There's other people that can do that after a conversation or, you know, it's just that like all the different layers of a human yeah. that we forget about because it's all so decompressed into like just a screen now. Yeah, it's and, very one-dimensional. And words yeah. when like body language is so much more that we miss when yeah. we're just a rectangle. Yeah, honestly, we made the decision a couple months ago. We've been doing this show, Jack and I, for six years now mm. and made the decision a couple months ago that I would only do interviews in person. Mm, and idea. it means that I lose – a lot of guests because people are busy and you can't, you know, they don't have time to actually come to a physical location and hang out. But the quality of not just the interview, but also I think the quality of our work and my life, frankly, is better because I get to sit with people yeah. and have conversations. And these conversations go everywhere and they're cool and I get to learn about them. And it's so much better, I think, on multiple dimensions to be able to do things with an actual human as opposed to a screen. Yeah, no, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think for me, I was like, I really want to focus on doing podcasts where I get to have an in-person experience with yeah. that person because it makes all the difference. Absolutely. Can you tell me about how you got started in business? Because yeah. I'm like already like, yes, we're about to have the most fun conversation uh, and it's going to go in all the ways. Yeah. But I'm really, truly fascinated by your career. Uh, and I have 10 questions to follow that up with. But gosh. I don't know the journey of yeah. how you got to here. And yeah. I'm just in case the audience doesn't yeah, know it as well. Yeah, of course. So, oh my God, I was born in Canada and raised between Canada and Jamaica. And my mom was adopted at birth. Oh, wow. So she, and it was in 1952. Um, sorry, mom. So, <laughs> so it was like a real closed adoption at that time, yeah. right? So she had no idea what her background was. She presents mostly as a white woman, maybe a little bit like ethnically ambiguous, but um, she just didn't know where she came from. And so when I was young, we used to go to all these different museums and we would go to the Costume Institute exhibits and we would look at different shoes and different dresses and all kinds of different like traditional cultural apparel. And she would say to me, like, this is how women archive their history. Mm. And oftentimes women, their narratives, their creativity are not shown in history books and you have to actively seek it out. And you have to look for the dog whistles that they're telling and showing each other through their work. Um, and she would share with me this Nigerian proverb that's like 
every day I'm reminded of, which is um, until the lion has a historian, the hunter will always be the hero. Yeah. Wow. And so she made us together be active about seeking out women's histories Mm -hmm. in unexpected places. And fashion was a big discovery tool for us. So fast forward, my father passed away when I was seven. He was born and raised in Ghana, and I didn't know any any side of his family. So when I was in my early 20s, I um, had a little bit of money, like a couple thousand dollars, and I kind of just bought a cheap ticket to Africa and sort of kind of just started trying to discover wow. what was going on there. Amazing. Um, the first place that I went to was Morocco, and then I went to Nigeria and Namibia and South Africa, and I was kind of just like making it work to the best of my ability. Were you like backpacking? You're yeah, like, pretty what much. You, yeah. I mean, the first time the first time um, I went to Morocco, my, my mom had inherited this like timeshare from my grandmother. Okay. And there was like an option for somewhere in Morocco. Wow. And so we like got there and rented this little car thing and drove around Morocco, which in retrospect was actually a horrible idea for a lot of reasons. But nevertheless, <laughs> I was like painfully naive. Yeah. And made it work and loved it and really started falling in love with that continent. Now, the crazy part was when I got there, I expected to see people in traditional cultural apparel everywhere. Not the case. Everyone was sort of wearing like Ed Hardy and oh, true no. religion jeans. And no. they were like really trying to emulate like Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. All right. So I was like, what's going on? Wow. And I had this whole idea in my head of like all these artisans everywhere. And it was very like eat, pray, love in my mind. Like, and you think about like these ideas that we get of Africa, right? It's right. like, from weird places. It, it'll be like uh, the Meryl Streep movie, Out of Africa was one thing right. that was in my mind. And then there was like, uh, you know, World Vision commercials. And when I was getting there, it was really nothing like that. But as I started traveling around and realizing that these traditional like artisans were basically dying out, I just kept asking more questions. And I realized, you know, at the time everyone was wearing Toms and and what I ended up finding out was that American donated clothing actually killed 70% of the manufacturing yeah. oh, in Africa. Yes, yes. Okay, so explain this in case yes. listeners, viewers don't understand yeah. how this yeah. happens. Yeah. So when I was little, every spring cleaning time, we would take all of our clothes that we didn't want and we would donate them, quote unquote, to people in need, right? Yeah. Uh huh. So that goes to Goodwill, and then no one really buys. Like some people buy it at Goodwill, right? But there's a lot of overage, and then essentially what they do is a lot of companies do dump or deliver or quote donate everything to Africa. Mm-hmm. But now there's eight T-shirts in a landfill for every one person in Africa. So we've sort of just been using Africa as a dumping yard. And when you take all of this like cheap slash free American clothing and you just dump it there, anyone that was actually making clothes or traditional apparel is going to lose their job because they can't compete on the market with essentially our trash. Right. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99. 
and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. I, I heard a story about this once. I want to say it was Tom's. Maybe I was listening to him in an interview. Mm-hmm. But he was talking about, or someone was talking about going to Haiti. And, yeah. you know, which is a, a very common place to make donations to and after the earthquake and this person was like so proud because they had been doing something with shoes. They had been sending mm-hmm. shoes and whatever. And then when they got there, they met a man who was on the street and they started a conversation with him. Like, how did you get to this place and how did you end up? Here? And he was like, oh, I used to sell shoes. Right. Like I used to, like he literally like sold shoes. He would walk around, he'd take his money, buy some shoes and then sell them on the street or the road or whatever to Haitians. Yeah. And then when people started donating and giving, like you're saying, uh, their trash, even with the best of freaking intentions, yeah. it it destroyed his business. Yes. So he didn't have the ability to make money in fashion anymore because that was taken away from him. Totally. So totally. sorry, keep going. No, 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 that's, that's exactly the point. And I remember in very early days, like tracking down the guy from Tom's and being like, listen, like I've been in Africa and I just want to let you know, like if you instead stop making the shoes in China and then just donating one to Africa and instead just moved all of your production to Africa. Wow, yeah. Because my grandmother growing up used to sponsor children in Africa, Mm -hmm. right? And, And my mom would be like, yeah, what she's doing is nice, but you know, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Right, right. And I'd always be like, huh, that's interesting. And so when I was in Southern Africa, specifically South Africa and Namibia, I was talking to a group of guys and they were wearing these shoes and I they were called Vellies. And I asked them like, what's the story of these shoes? And so basically it started out with just animals that they were killing and eating. And then they would take the leather that was left over and they would wrap their foot in it. It was kind of one of the very first shoes that evolved in the continent. And then it became like four pieces of leather tacked together, almost like a moccasin. Mm -hmm. And then from there, the rubber tree came into play and it got a rubber sole. And when British people came to Southern Africa, they saw that shoe. They fell very much in love with it. They brought it back up to the UK. um, And instead of calling it a veli, they renamed it a desert boot. And they launched the company that you and I know today as Clark's. But that shoe... Is actually a traditional African shoe shape. Wow. And so I'm sitting there, I'm in love with these shoes, I'm in love with these artisans, and they're just like, yeah, we're basically gonna probably have to close our workshop because it's like the Nikes. The Nikes are everywhere. Yeah. And the Clarks are everywhere, and the Toms are everywhere. And, you know. And I was just like, this is crazy. Well, and just to catch you before you go on, not only does it knock out the artisans, but I imagine, too, you're knocking out 
cultural tradition. Yes. Like you're 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 knocking out. I mean, the, depending on where you are in the world, certain ways of weaving, certain ways of braiding, beading, things that have been passed down generationally that will be lost the same way that language is lost yep. if it's not continued to be used. 2,000%, absolutely. Yeah. And so that, for me, it, I mean, it was harrowing for so many different reasons, right? Some of which you pinpointed just there. And also, mind you, Rachel, like I had been vegan for 10 years. So, <laughs> so you're like, <laughs> that's okay. compounded because right. I'm like, oh, wow, like they're they're killing animals. Like I was having a lot of complicated feelings, right. right? But also this is their way of life. Yes. These people are, there was one tribe that I met called the Inguni tribe and they're named after the Inguni cow. And they raise that cow. They love the cows. They treat the cows so well. They migrate with the cow. They know cows more intimately and have a more intimate relationship with right. cows than I ever could. Right. So for me to be like, I'm vegan, you should not kill an animal. Like, it's just such an asshole move. Right, right. 100%. Right. Because I'm like, I'm from right. America. You know yes. what I mean? Like, and they're do it's the full life cycle, too. I'm yes. sure in this instance, you're using every yes. part of the animal. Yes. Yeah. They're like using the bones to carve right. into bees. Right, right. Right? Every part. Yeah. Right? And I'm over here being like, it's a soy latte. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, that is crazy. Right, right. And so I think for me, I was like, got to keep an open mind, open heart. Got to learn. Cannot make assumptions about anything. Cannot think I know anything. My grandmother also used to say, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Amen. You know? Amen. And when we think about American donated clothing killing the manufacturing in Africa, it was well-intentioned, Yeah. right? Yeah. I was a little kid that was like giving my clothes and I was thinking it was going to go to a person in right. need. It was all well-intentioned, right? Right? There's another situation where I was spending a bunch of time in Kenya. I was there year after year after year. We'd do a bunch of production there. And um, I remember I was at the workshop one day and, and there were a bunch of people that were there. And I was like, what's going on? And they were like, oh, they're building us a well. And I was like, oh my God, that's so exciting. You're getting well, like, wow, mage, you know? Mm -hmm. And they're like, yep, yeah, it's great. And there was like a whole bunch of fanfare. There was like press. Da, da, da. I remember being like, oh my God, they're getting a well. It's so great. They don't have to like walk, you know, the, yeah. the two miles in the morning anymore because that's a lot, right, to get water. I mean, you can't imagine. And um, and then I came back the next time and I was like, I was like, how's it going with the well? And they were like, oh, it's broken. And I was like, really? They didn't fix it? And they were like, oh, we haven't told them yet. I'm like, oh my God, you have to tell them because if you tell them, I'm sure they're going to be really quick to fix it. Yeah. And they're like, we'll tell them. I'm like, do you want me to call? I can call. Like, let me, you know, help you or whatever, right? So next time I call and check in, the well's fixed. Great. I come back again. What's happening? The well's broken. How is the well broken? Again, I'm like, what kind of crap well are they yes. giving you guys, yes. you know? I'm like, we got to get this fixed and like figure it out. And I uh, went to lunch and, and, and someone else came up to me and they were like, Aurora, like, we, we've been breaking the well. And I was like, I'm sorry? Wow. And they were like, yeah, we didn't ask for a well. And actually, like, that's our time together in the morning as women to go and be together and have that experience. Oh, that breaks my heart. Because it's like it happens all the time. I grew up in the Christian faith, which is like freaking white Christian women who are like, oh, I'm going to go – volunteer my time. I'm going to do the thing. I'm going to do. Yeah. And I forget the term that it was called, but it became a sort of almost like tourism where people would go over, you know, you hear these horror stories of like, oh, we're going to go build a school or we're going to go, yeah. you know, paint the same fucking wall so we can put something on our Instagram that shows how much we're helping these people. But they didn't ask for that help. 
Right. It's like the the idea of supporting organizations in other countries, it doesn't matter where it is, or in other cultures, is like, well, why don't you go fund existing organizations in those communities and allow them to spend those funds in whatever way makes sense to them, not that makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. They were breaking the well. That gives me chills. They were breaking It's the- crazy. Because they were like, this is our time. Yeah. Wow. I mean, and same, right? Like my grandmother was that woman. She was like very waspy, like Christian missionary. Right. Yes. Like missionary tourism. Yes. Was that was the of. vibe. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And like I, your heart's in the right place. Totally. Good for you. But like you're missing a lot of steps in between here and there. Because it's this assumption that we all have right. from our own lived experience where we feel like this has been my thing that's been so helpful to me. Therefore, I want to give, but not yes. just give, impose it onto other people. In the same way that I was vegan. Right. Where I was like, right. well, I'm vegan. Yes. And this is a lot of animals that are dying right now. <laughs> right? And it's like, okay. And I was having this conversation with someone the other day. It's like, well, what's the op- what's the other option? The other option is vegan leather, which is plastic, which they're not going to have the infrastructure to recycle the offcuts on. And then there's going to be microplastics that are in their water system and environment. And then what, right? Right. Like this is part of their culture. Yeah. Yeah. And you can be vegan and live in LA, (laughs) right? Right. And that can be the right decision for you. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the right decision for a bunch of Ethiopian women in the Omo Valley. Right, right. A hundred percent. So knowing that information then, how did you even conceive? Because at this point, you're still pretty oh, gosh, young yes. when you were Sorry. like, what we am I going to do with these? Here. No, no. <laughs> I love a tangent. I live for a tangent. But I'm I'm fascinated yeah. by how you turn it into a business. Right. So then I was very much in love with these valleys, right? And I was really struggling with fashion because I'd always loved fashion like deeply from my core but didn't love it as just this like crazy like consumerism tool that like also made me have like weird eating disorders and all of that jazz. So I Mm -hmm. wanted to find a way to make it more empowering and for me I was just kind of like okay these shoes are amazing. These guys are at risk of losing their jobs. I have you know my savings account which Felt like it was stacked to me at the time. I had $3,500. And I took all the money that I had and I made like a batch of shoes with them. Wait, how old are you at this point? I'm 26. Did you know how to make No, no, no. I knew nothing. Everything I I can figure out. Everything I learned about shoes, I learned from people in Africa to this day. Cool. cool, Yeah. And so I sat with them and they taught me how to make them. We made tweaks on them. I learned about vegetable dyeing from a group of women called the Himba who cover themselves in like a red clay paste every day. And so they helped me do like the ochre dye on some of the leather. And I visited the the tanneries where they actually like work with the leather from the animals because again, I was vegan. So I really wanted to understand. I was like, if I'm going to use this leather, I want to see how the animal was treated. I want to know what's happening. You know, I want to, I want to be accountable to my own process. Um, And so I made this batch of shoes and I packed them all in my suitcase and I brought them back to New York, which is where I was living at the time. And I got a a stall at the Hester Street Fair for $70. And I like inadvertently launched my brand that Saturday at a stall at the flea market. Holy crap. Yeah. And that was in 2013. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. 
Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. Guys, no two listeners of the show are exactly alike, which means that no two vacations you take are going to be exactly alike either. And if you're looking for a place that will serve all of you, Texas has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. I love Texas so much, I moved my family there for five years. Because here's the deal, Texas has it all. Are you a beach person? We got you. If you love a rugged vacation, not my jam, but there's plenty of campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. My favorite part about Texas the food. It is the thing I miss the absolute most. Whether you love barbecue or Tex-Mex or just want to be in cities that take their food very seriously. You can enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Visit TravelTexas.com slash get your own to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash get your own. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There's so many questions here. Like, not only did you decide to get into business, you're getting into fashion, which is very finicky. Yeah. But also you got into sizable goods, which is like so scary. So for people who are listening who don't understand, like, you have to have that shoe in multiple sizes. And how in the world do you know which size is going to sell out? What if you have a huge surplus of size 10 and not enough size 6 and like – how did you do that? I knew nothing. Okay. I mean, I didn't even really realize I was launching a business. Okay. You were just like, this is cool. Yeah, I was like, oh, I have this $3,500. I am going to work with these guys on these shoes and make as many as I can for this $3,500, right? Yes. I'm going to bring them all back in my suitcase. I don't even know. I think we were just choosing random sizes. Like, I, there was no 
the term sizable goods, I probably didn't even hear anyone say until like year four of my business. Like it was not, you know, it was a flying from the seat of my pants. Here. Oh my gosh. And okay. so, yeah, I like brought them. I don't, we didn't even have shoe boxes, I, but I would stuff all the shoes because they had, a, they would get this, the newspaper delivered there every day at the workshop in South Africa. And so I would stuff all the shoes with the South African newspaper cool. to help them hold their shape. And yeah. um, I remember one time at the airport, I, they were like, your bag is overweight. And I didn't have enough money to pay for that. So I started taking all the newspaper out and I, it's just, <laughs> it was a mess. But so I, I launched at a flea market and, you know, a couple weeks later, I, I, I think I sold maybe three pairs that first day, which was really exciting for me because yeah. it meant like a tiny dent off of my rent because I had spent the whole 3500 So rent yeah. was like not a thing at right. that point right. anymore. And then a couple weeks later, I came back and this woman was like – um where have you been? And I was like, oh, well, I couldn't come last week because like, you know, whatever. I was like busy-ish and um, probably just tired. It was a very early Saturdays for these flea markets for me. And she was like, well, you know, I bought the shoes last time for my husband. And he really loved them. So I want to buy more. And I was like, amazing. So she's like looking at three pairs. At this point, this woman is like my best customer, right? right? right. And she's like, you need to make a website. And I was like, do I? And she was like, yeah, you need to make a website. Do you think you can make one by like Wednesday? And I was like, oh, the demands, you know? But I'm like, in my brain, I'm like, okay, the customer's always, always right. So I was like, absolutely I can. And she was like, can you email it to me like by Wednesday morning, the, the, the link to the website? And I was like, fuck, okay, sure, you know? And so she gives me like her Gmail and she's just asking me a bunch of questions about, you know, how I'm thinking about it and the shoes and the history and da, 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 my process and I'm so excited for whatever is about to happen. Yeah. And so I call my friend <laughs> who was like eating pizza in his parents' basement in Toronto. And I was like, I need your help to make a website, you know, for this thing that I'm doing with these shoes. And he was like, um, and I was like, I'll like get you pizza, you know. And he was like, okay, done. So we like put this like really crappy like little website together and uh, I email her on like Wednesday afternoon like no response, you know, and I was just like, dang, like I really hustled for that or whatever. Yeah. Fine. Anyways, a couple of days later, she writes me back and she was like, thank you for the URL. Uh, the site looks okay. She then wrote like, you should go get a copy of the New York Times today. And so I went and I got a copy of the New York Times and she had written this whole story about the shoe and my process and the company. I literally have chills. It's like tripping me out. Are you catching how often we keep hearing these stories of these like, it's really tripping me out. And wow. maybe it's because I'm looking for it now. But of these like, there is no such thing as luck. There is only preparation, meaning opportunity at a moment in time. It's uh -huh. my favorite Oprah quote. You could have had that woman come to your stall and say, have a website for me by Wednesday. And you could have been like, well, I don't know how to do a website. Right. I don't know. Like, yep. I keep hearing these stories of people getting these like sort of divine moments, mm -hmm. but the divine moment doesn't happen unless you show up for it. Agreed. So she was like a reporter and you had yeah, no idea. Yeah, she was idea. like a writer. Wow. She was like a writer for the New York Times. That's insane. So what happened? I mean, did it? Did I it, like sold out. I mean, I only had like 11 pairs. Yeah. <laughs> so like, that was very quick. I was like, exciting. Ah! Even yeah. just for you, like in terms of like validation, totally. there's something here. So you sell out of 11 pairs of shoes. Yeah. And then are you like, guys, we got to make more shoes? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, I, and, and they were so excited in the workshop. And 
cool. I just like kept going, you know, a, a, a year or so later, I guess it was probably a couple of years later, I um, had been like selling the shoes from my house and I heard about something called the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund, which was like Anna Wintour's big thing that she does where they give a bunch of money away. And, and I was like, I'm definitely like not ever going to win that or get into that. But if I apply, someone's going to have to look at my application. Right. And that is just an incredible access point. And I used to print postcards. And every time I would go to Africa, I would write out these postcards to different editors. Like I would just get the physical magazine and I would look at the masthead of the people and I would write to the people on the masthead and put the address. And I would say to them like, hi, I'm in Kenya or South Africa or wherever I was right now. And I would love to show you what I'm working on when I come back, if you would agree to do a 15 minute meeting with me. So smart. Did it work? Yeah, it totally worked. And it cost me like basically nothing, right? I was just printing these postcards and then using like Kenyan stamps. Right. And it was original and unique and it caught people's eye. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it would just be like photos that like the the postcards themselves would just be like a photo that I've taken from the workshop in Africa or something so they could see a little bit of what I was doing. I mean, I had no money. You know what I mean? And you're also in an industry. I'm I'm not in your industry. So, but from the outside or from watching Devil Wars Prada, which is basically <laughs> all my knowledge, uh-huh. it seems like an industry where there are certain rules and yes. you got to be cool. And there, and it, and sending a postcard is maybe cool. like is not something that a lot of people would do. And that's why it works because you're showing up in a way that makes sense to you, and it cuts through all of the other noise. Because yeah. what what year was this when this was? When you're sending postcards. 2013. Yeah. 2013, so it's like, 2014. Wow, this yeah. is amazing. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I didn't mean to I th- No, 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 no. I think you're exactly right. I think that that industry was so specific at that time as well. And I think I think that I'm a, definitely a dreamer. And it's very Pollyanna to say, but like I just spend so much time like with my head in the clouds just thinking about like the world that I want to live in and all, all of these like – Things that again are like very Pollyanna and like kind of silly. I'm Pollyanna but, too, so I get it. Right, and so a lot of times I'm like late or a little bit like disjointed in my thinking or whatever. And so the concept to of like launching a fashion brand, like a luxury fashion brand, would have been nothing. I would have never been able to do that. Right. 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 But like putting up a flea market stall and like (laughs) sitting on a bunch of milk crates, eating an apple and talking about like these shoes that I made in Africa is a thing that I can do. Yes. Right. And like sitting across from someone and telling them why I'm passionate about this project that I'm working on and letting that passion be contagious is also a thing that I can do. Right. Is my hair going to be brushed while I'm doing it? Probably not. (laughs) Right. And like are some editors going to be like, what is happening? Yes. Yeah. Right? But there's other people that like luckily for me found that refreshing. Yes. Oh my God. My like head spinning. My heart is exploding. Uh-huh. I'm obsessed with you uh-huh. in all the best ways. This has nothing to do with our conversation right now. Uh-huh. I am not hitting on you, but are you single? Yes. Okay. I'm newly single. Okay. How I does like, that feel? It feels good. Okay. That was like a vi- like a whole thing. Yes. Because, you know. Was it a long-term relationship that you got out of? Eh, I mean, it was two and a half years. That's pretty long. And we were living together, you know, and his son was living with us. And I think that, like, our friend, I was, I'm very close with his family. His sister was, like, one of my best friends. Mm. She'd been trying to set us up for years. So I think, like, 
the 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 expectations of the world was like obviously they're going to be together forever right. and get married, right. Right? right? But that's the other thing yeah. about expectations, especially of the world mm-hmm. and like images that people create of the future. Yeah. Right? Because how many times, I mean, it's a whole other conversation, no. but like how, <laughs> many, how many times have you like thought in your pit like, oh, maybe this isn't right for me, but then you stayed because actually you're in love with the image of the future that you've created. Oh, shit. Girl, I am a I'm a writer by like my like have a podcast and I write books uh-huh. is what I do. And I read uh Glennon Doyle in Untamed had some line where she's talking about going through a divorce and her husband I think had cheated on her or something and she's saying she wasn't she realized she wasn't pissed that he had betrayed her. She was pissed because he had betrayed her happily ever after that she right. wrote. Because it was about the story she was yep. telling. It wasn't about the experience she was having. So, yes, I have very much been inside of that in in not just relationships but in business and in kind of where you just start moving with the flow of something and it's working and everyone really likes this for you, but you don't feel right in your soul and you may be too afraid to say that it's not the right choice. So I really I mean, that. you're literally vocalizing it yeah. exactly, yeah. right? It's like, and then in your brain, like for me, I was like, but what about the embryos? You know, it's like, what about, <laughs> yes. like all this of these things? This is a thing now. This, you are probably the fourth person that I've talked yeah. to on this show about having a relationship with someone and you had embryos together. Oh, yeah. And what does that mean? And like all of the weight of all of those things, are you the kind of person that can walk away from that easily when you know it's not right for you? Or do you no. stay? Yeah, you There's stay two types of people. People that, you know, at the movie theater, right? It's like, do you get up and leave when the movie's trash or do you stay? <laughs> I'm staying. I'm watching the credits. Yes, yes. <laughs> like, yeah, right. this movie's horrible. Right. But here I am. Yeah. Staying yeah. for the full credits. Are we going to do an encore? No? Yeah. Okay, okay. Everyone's ready to leave? Okay, then I guess I'll okay. go. Okay. And why do you think that is? Have you explored that with your therapist? Whew. I think it's because of so many things. I think, you know, as women, we're taught that there can only be one final rose and we have to do everything that we can to make sure that we are, like, lovable, likable, showing up in all the ways that we need to be just family stuff also, like just that need to like be loved and get approval and and all of that that's like so complicated that's like by design, right? Like part of that society. Yeah. Just as much as it is your childhood or whatever. I'm getting a lot better. Yeah, good. And (laughs) the thing is, I think it takes maybe getting burnt enough yeah. to understand that like, oh, I don't want to touch that fire again. Yeah. Or at the very least that I will pull my hand away faster. Yeah. I, I heard this uh, this line. I was reading a book on business years ago. And they said, um, when you're thinking about an employer, teammate, or someone that you work with, to ask yourself the question, knowing everything I know today, would I hire them again today? Because sometimes we have people on our team, we have people, we have friends, we have romantic partners that we are still in it because we've already invested so much time. Tell right? them, right? tell them, right? tell them. <laughs> yep. yep. So it's like, 
But if you went on a first date with them today and you knew everything you know today, would you still do it? The answer is immediately no. I mean, I remember my ex-husband and I used to joke all the time. We'd always be like, oh, if we went on a date today, we would never ask for a second date. Both of us said that. 18 years later, we're like, well, I guess this isn't working. Like it just, because you're in it and you can't, I don't know, it's like that the frog boiling in a pot of water, like you just oh keep gosh, turning yes. the heat up and yeah, you don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know that it's uh, it's time to walk away. Yeah. No, totally. So I get that. Mm-hmm. So we'll step away from this, um, <laughs> this heated conversation. <laughs> the business though. Yes. So because somewhere along this line, you start to become more well-known in mm-hmm. this industry that you like just – you know, not walked into, but like came in through an I alternate mean, route. Fell yeah, in yeah. The back door right. when I was leaning against the wall. Right. And you fell through. Yeah. But I don't I don't even want to skip the juicy bits because I really want to get to 15%. Yeah, yeah. Cause I'm like, I this is one of the reasons I'm so pumped to talk to you. Mm. Because I feel like there's all of these problems facing different communities, different societies, different people. Yeah. And we go, they're too big. They're uh-huh. too big. Yeah. And you were like, fuck that. It's not too big. It's this. So, but but before we get to Uh this uh incredible, juicy, inspiring conversation, take me from I'm sending postcards to, because something's going on with the Vogue thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ended up applying for the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. Yes. I basically didn't tell anyone because I was too embarrassed. Like I couldn't tell any of my friends because they'd be like, oh my God, girl, like what are you doing? You're not there yet. But I was like, it's just good to apply. Someone might have to see it, yeah. you know? And so I applied and I made it to the next round somehow. So I knew it was like there was 40 of us or something. And then you have to put this whole book together with your work and a video. And I made this little video like on my iPhone and I was just like explained the story and why I really wanted to be involved and get feedback from the judges and and also share with them like what I'd been seeing in Africa and how amazing the artisans were and that I felt like they were just as talented as like the artisans in Paris or Italy. Right. That they had just been like historically excluded. Absolutely. From the fashion conversation. And and I also showed a bunch of different references of like shoes that were doing really well right now, like Clark's and like these Celine flats that were based on um, the Moroccan babouche and and it just kind of showed like how traditional African cultural apparel actually was very relevant within fashion right now. It's just the artisans aren't getting right utilized. Right. And is that appropriation at that moment or do you think it's inspiration or what's It's a very the line? good question. So appropriation is a very complex thing. And I like delve into this a little bit in my book because there's no clear answer, right? right? And it is a very case-by-case thing. Got it. And what I say, because even in my work now with shoes and the bags and and all of that, like we use a lot of like African patterns and stuff. Not all the time, but some seasons. And so I had a lot of my friends that were like, I don't know if I can wear this African pattern. Right. Because I feel like I'm culturally appropriating. Right. And to me, I'm like – that's crazy. Right. But I also understand why they would feel that way because there has been so much emphasis on that. Yes. And so I say to our artisans, like, how do you feel about, like, there was this whole situation I read about in the book with Kendall Jenner, right? It's like, she was wearing our shoes. It was a whole shoot. And it's like these beaded shoes with feathers. And when I look at that image now of me and Kendall, I say like, ooh, like, if you're just looking at this photo on face value, this feels 
like cultural appropriation. Mm. If you ask the African artisans that made this shoe in Kenya, so how they fucking f- pumped, how they feel yeah. about it, they're stoked. Yes, right. Yes, if it's you huge. ask the hairdresser that like braided her hair into these two fishtail braids, who's an indigenous woman, right. that was her decision of what she wanted to do. And she felt like made sense for Kendall in that moment, right. Right? right? So you actually have this image that was created by and in part with a bunch of women of color, but out of context, sure. a decade later, when you look at it, you're like, ooh, Kendall yeah. in this look feels complicated. Right, right, You right. know? So that's why I say it's like very nuanced. Right. And for me, like- you know, should people be wearing like Native American headdresses at Coachella? Right. No, obviously not. But I think we've graduated past yes, that. Yeah. Well, right? I do think there's something I never really thought about that piece before, but there's something if you're actually supporting an artisan, if you're buying exactly. it from the source, if it's a celebration of I uh, you know, of the culture, whatever, as opposed to I got this at Target. Totally. And that, you know, and they're pulling these patterns that are from this tribe, it's totally inappropriate, whatever. Totally. Those are two different totally. things. Yeah. Right. So thank you for, for Yeah, of course. That. It's really about like actually supporting community. Like, is this thing referencing a group of people? Or is it coming from this group of people? Right. Is my participation empowering them or just pulling from them? Got it. And I think that's the question that you can kind of ask. Got it. Okay. So you send your application in. Oh, yeah. I send my application in. And uh, I was very nervous. And, you know, I ended up getting a phone call that I made it into the top ten. Which was crazy. And nobody knows at this point that you've even tried to do this thing? No, no one knows. I was so embarrassed. My boyfriend at the time knew. Okay. Right. Oh, my God. So I I feel like embarrassed for myself now because I was just like so embarrassed at the time. But I was so – I couldn't even believe it. I mean, and when they told me, they actually like knocked on my door because it was a reality show that year. On Amazon Prime. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. my God. So they, like, open the door and my phone rings at the same time. And I'm like, hello? <laughs> and it was Stephen Cole from the CFDA. And he's like, Aurora, like, you made it into the CFDA Vogue Fashion Fund. And I just start bawling. Oh, wow. I cried through every episode okay, of great. that show. Perfect. <laughs> it's just, like, the girl that cries. Well, and I think your your intention of, I, hey, I would love to do this because I'd love the feedback and I'd love to share with you this culture and I'd love to share about these artists. And, like, what a beautiful intention. It wasn't, like, me, me, me. I want accolades or I want success. Right. Or I, it was just sort of, like, uh, I don't know, a more organic approach to that process, which I'm sure was refreshing. Yeah, I felt yeah. so. And yeah. like, I named the company Brother Vellies because to me it was really this whole idea of like a brotherhood, a sisterhood of different communities of people, you know, across the world that are making something that's traditional to them, yeah. right? Like it wasn't like the Aurora James Shoe Collection, right? you know? <laughs> like it was really about like groups of other people that had been like historically excluded and really involving them in the proposition. So so cool. There I was. There you were. You're in the program. Thing. Yeah. You get top 10. Yeah, I get top 10. We're in this like, you know, documentary competition thing, which the Fashion Fund is very much so like all of these like reality shows are like really kind of based off of the actual fashion fund. Yeah. So it's literally like Anna Wintour like critiquing you, right? And all of these like intense judges now it's like I Tom Brown like, and like crap my pants. Oh my god, Tom Ford and it's just like ah 
you know, you're peeing yourself. <laughs> like every, I, that's why I was telling you, I was literally crying every episode. I was oh. crying. I was shaking. I was sweating. What did you wear? Crazy stuff. I mean, I was wearing like overalls. Like, it was, was not even thinking of it. I was just like trying to live, yes, you know, yeah, like I was just trying process. to survive. Okay. I was trying to like look like I had it reasonably together. I did not at all. I was like, you know, my rent check was like bouncing. I was like literally like, no, I think I was in eviction court like oh, while wow. I was in the freshman. I mean, it was just like, but I was like, I gotta show up for this mission. Yes. The artisans in Africa were like, we don't know what the fashion fund is, but we love it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it was just, it felt like it was about so much more than me. And it felt like it was about people that actually care about fashion in a different way. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that it can be about like women doing work and like making things that are beautiful and working with the land and like making things in an interesting, sustainable way. Yeah. Well, isn't, um, fashion is, isn't it the number one employer of women globally or? Probably. There's something, yeah. Did you win? You know what? what? I like kind of did. Yeah. <laughs> so it was a, it, it was a three-way tie. Oh wow. There's usually a first place, second place, and a third place, and we did a three-way tie. With, with are there people that are still in Yeah, business Jonathan today? Simkai. Do oh, you know cool. who that is? There's some billboards all over LA oh, say Simkai. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love him. Jonathan Simkai. And then this other amazing guy named Rio who has a brand called Gypsy Sport, who's oh, also wow. so lovely. Cool. Yeah, and like so much cooler than I could And ever you be. won ten million dollars. We won I'm trying to we won three hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> That's incredible. Big money. I mean, yeah. I've never even seen anything like that, that in my life. Is incredible. Did you get mentorship as well? Was yes. that part of it? Yes. Okay. My mentor was Neil Blumenthal who created Warby Parker. No big deal. And the reasoning yeah. behind it was like, oh, uh, like Aurora likes to sell things online. <laughs> People were not selling cool. things online okay. at that time. Oh. So I was like the outlier. Oh, how funny. Was it helpful to have that Oh my God, mentorship? it was every – Yeah, okay. Well, yes. The mentorship was helpful, but – what was more helpful, to be honest with you, was selling things online. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I I needed to connect directly with my customer. Yeah. And have conversations. And I was using social media to do that. Smart. Right? Yeah. Because it was free. Yeah. Those were so early I days. Yeah. To, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> so I had to use like anything that I could to just show people like, this is what we're doing. This is a shoe. Like, this is how I wear it. It's got to be me. Not yeah. going to be a model. Can't afford that. You know what I mean? Like, it's so, yeah. So it's a shoe brand. Uh -huh. And now you all do accessories as well? We do like okay. handbags as well. Cool. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and still everything's coming out of Africa? Are you? So all over the world now. So oh, South Africa, cool. Kenya, Morocco, Ethiopia, Burkina Faso, Mali, Bali, Haiti, Mexico. We do a lot in Mexico. We do cool. stuff in Italy. We do stuff in America, Canada. And is that you're going to those places and like yes. checking things out? Yes. Do you love that part of the job? Yes. I loved it like more pre-pandemic. Oh, true. It really kind of like true. was hard oh, during yeah. the pandemic. It yeah. was really hard. We I like bet. pivoted a lot of the business model and like started – I mean because I couldn't tell people to buy – shoes when we were at a stay at home. I mean, that was right. insane. Right. I remember yeah. getting emails during that time from like fashion brands. It would be like, big sale. It's 60% off. And I'm like, I'm at home. Like, yeah, I'm not I don't, buying I don't need this a, ball a gown. leather duster. Yeah. Thank totally, you Totally. Totally. Yeah. So we ended up pivoting and like actually a lot of our artisans started making like home goods. Oh, smart. So we created like a home goods program that was like $35 a month and it's like an every month thing and cool. it's the same artisans. And so it's, it's really lovely. Awesome. Yeah. So at what point did the pledge become an okay. idea? 
Okay, so I had been working on Brother Valleys for years, and I have historically spoken out about really anything that I believe in, <laughs> right? Like constantly. And so 2020, I'm at home trying to make it work. We're all at home trying to make it work. And I was in Brooklyn. Mr. Floyd gets murdered, and uh, I really didn't know what to do. I refused to watch the video. Yeah. And some of my friends were, you know, protesting and I didn't want to do that. Not that I didn't think that there was a value. I just didn't know that like that was what I wanted to do with my body at that mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking like there has got to be something. And I'm getting a lot of calls and texts from like my friends, my colleagues. And it was all like really well-intentioned people that were like, Aurora, like, is there any chance that you would be open at like to looking at this like press release for me or this Instagram caption? And I mean, like some of it was like my very good friends, right? Right. right. And it's uncomfortable. Yes. But it's like, I would rather them call me yeah. than not yeah. because I'd rather have the conversation with them. And to be honest with you, that's a little bit of a controversial opinion, right? Because some people are like, no, like, fuck it. Like, people have to do the work themselves. Yeah, if they step yeah. in it, they step in it. Yeah. And I think for me, I'm. it's a learning opportunity. And I'm someone who puts out imperfect ideology all the time, Yeah. right? Yeah. I don't believe that we can hold each other to the standard of perfection. And so I want my friends to call me and have a conversation. And I will tell them, like, this is a problem, right? Yeah. And so anyways, people were calling and texting me. And, and I did it for a little bit. It was a lot of emotional capital that spent like doing that kind of work. But um, a friend of mine called me on the Saturday, which I guess was like three or four days after he was murdered. And she was calling me on behalf of a major retailer. And she was like, you know, they – just donated $10 million to the NAACP, but people are still protesting outside. And I'm like, well, girl, like, they're based in Minneapolis. Like, yeah. that's where he was murdered. Like, people are right. going to be protesting, right. you know. Right. And she's like, yeah, but they donated $10 million. And I was like, okay, cool. But, like, black people spend more than $10 million at Target, like, literally any day. Yes. Right? Yes. So that is not, like – going to make them yeah. anti-racist. Right. Like a donation doesn't make you right. – like if a friend makes a racist comment, you don't go like, oh my God, like Andrew, that was so racist. Make a donation. <laughs> you like explain to Andrew right. why it was racist, right. Right? right? And she's like, well, yeah, but like they love black people. And I'm like, I don't know what that means per se, but I think like what you're right. trying to say is like the people there are really amazing, the individuals, and I agree with you. Like I have lots of friends that work there and they are really amazing. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that the corporation in and of itself is anti-racist, right? And she was like, well, they also like carry some black owned like products. And I was like, okay, that's like, again, not right. making them anti-racist. That's like probably just good business. And yeah, she was like, well, just good products. Yeah. And yeah. she was like, well, is it? Like it's just, it's also like a really nice thing to do. And I was like, girl. It, and she was like, I just feel like nothing that they're going to do is going to be enough for you. And I was like, no, like what people need to do right now is do the thing that they are best at doing in service of people who are not just happen to be underrepresented, people who have been historically excluded from the mm -hmm. equation. And she's like, well, what does that mean in this case? And I was like, well, they're a major retailer. Black people are almost 15% of the population. They should commit 15% of their shelf space to black-owned businesses. Yeah. And she was like, 
mm, no one's going to do that. And I was like, okay, well, you can just tell them that, like, that was my idea. Yeah. And she was like, okay. And then we got off the phone. And I really just sat and thought about it. And I had been reading all these statistics, right? Um, 90% of black-owned businesses didn't get access to the first round of PPP money. 44%, I think, were projected to close as a result of the pandemic versus like 14% of the national average. So I was seeing that the pandemic was really disproportionately hitting the black community Mm -hmm. and specifically black business. Mm -hmm. And if you remember that time, there was a lot of specific calls to action around like, eight can't wait and like defund the police. And like, these are things that I don't know very much about, to be frank with you. I'm Canadian. I do not understand how the police system works here. I do not understand how the budgets work here. I was not in a position to suddenly start advocating in that way. What I do know is being an entrepreneur and being a black female entrepreneur, because that was my experience. And I knew what could happen in my life and to the people in my workshop when major retailers support in an outsized way, because I'd had that experience because we sold at every retailer across the country, right? right? And I just thought about, okay, if these retailers started making these commitments, like what would happen? How would that change the American economic landscape? So I pulled out my phone. I opened the notes section in my phone, which I think is like where most of our brilliant ideas are housed. And I'm just typing it out, all the the thoughts that I'm having around this idea of 15% and the commitment that they could make. And so I screenshot that and I posted it to Instagram an hour after I had the first conversation with her. And I tagged a bunch of retailers that I thought could do a good job of committing to buying more black product and trying to get to 15% shelf space. Um, so I put that on Instagram and I closed my phone and that was the Saturday and I woke up on Sunday and there was a lot of inbound about it. People were texting me and calling me. And so I called my same web designer that I love and we stayed up overnight and built a website out for the idea. And we launched a petition that Monday at noon by like Tuesday, we had, I think a hundred thousand signatures And on Wednesday, I registered it to become a nonprofit. And on day 10, Sephora became the first major corporation to commit to the 15% pledge. And since then, it's been two and a half years, just over two and a half years. And we have 29 of the biggest retailers that have committed. They all sign like multi-year contracts with us. Nordstrom is a 10-year contract, for example. Um, So we audit them every single quarter. And through those contractual commitments that they have with us, we're now in the process of reallocating over $10 billion a year to Black-owned businesses across the country. Well, I'm on my period, so I'm definitely <laughs> crying about this. But, like, I, it makes me so emotional because women feel so um, disempowered. Yeah. Like, they just feel like there's nothing I can do. It's too big. And I think when you show up, mm. when you just try, like yeah. – you were talking to someone who presumably was like an expert in this field who was like, Aurora, there's no way. Like nobody will do that. Yeah. And you just put it out there anyway. And yeah. what's so beautiful about that is like you put the idea into the world where it could have absolutely been taken by someone else. Mm-hmm. You weren't like worried about controlling that thing. You were just like, this is good and this is right and this should be. And again, like you hustle, you you overnight build a website, like all of these things, you're showing up at that moment in time, ready to go, and then here's the opportunity for it. Yeah. It's in, oh, it's amazing. And I'm going to 
bet money, mm-hmm. not really, um, <laughs> but I would be willing to bet money that many of the retailers, number one, had never considered that before mm-hmm. and probably had some idea, well, that there, you know, well, there's not Black-owned businesses in every category, yeah, yeah, so yeah. how would we even, oh, yeah. which is bullshit, they right. just had never looked right. because there was no reason to look. Right. So how did that even begin for people? Were you consulting with them to go like, also, here's oh my gosh. hundreds of amazing businesses that you can use? So I'm excited to tell you this specific part of this because what you said resonates with me so much, which is like the helplessness that we kind of all feel as women sometimes when we're facing these problems that seem so big. Yeah. And I like get choked up even saying this because again, it does feel so Pollyanna, but like literally like every single one of us has the power and the potential to move fucking mountains, right? And the world spends so much time trying to convince us that that's not true. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But there is, I believe, like a light inside of us, every single one of us that knows what our power is. Yes. Right? Yes. And as women, like our job is to keep stoking that flame in each and every one of each other. Right? Yeah. And so between that day that I posted that idea and the next like three, four months, there was this team of about 250 women across the country, predominantly white women, that were all anonymous volunteers that busted their ass on this project. Because one of the first things we needed to do was start proving to these retailers that they did not have 15% on their shelf. Ooh, oh, that's interesting. So we started doing like external audits and internal audits. Like there were women that were working at some of these companies that were like, we got the numbers, we got the data. Because I would be, CEOs would be calling me. Like, I mean, literally, Rachel, I tell you, I talked to every retailer in this country that summer. And the whole thing was, we don't know what our shelf space is right now. We may already be there. I think we're doing good. <laughs> no, no one was doing good. Come on. The highest that we saw from anyone was 3%. There was one retailer that was there in America. Everyone else was 1% or below. There wow. was a lot that were zero. Wow. And mostly the black-owned brands that they would carry would be like, Briogeo, which is a hair care brand, yeah, Brother Velli's, yeah. Off-White. Right. Like, right. you know, they'd be like, does Fenty count? Like, it, right. it's like really, it wasn't like, so there was a lot of work to do. And there were so many. Were they many, surprised? I'm sorry to interrupt. Yes. But were people like, oh, fuck. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, okay. that was a huge, for that, for a lot of these people, they were like, oh, my God. Yeah. Because what I think was so important about that proposition was that we were taking it heavily emotional, really volatile moment. And then we were assigning a scorecard to it. Yeah. Right? And these corporations run on like KPIs and on data, right? So it's like they can't really can't talk about feelings, uh-huh. right? But you can say to them, well, guess what? Your shelf space is below 1%, but your marketing is – 40%. And you think that that's cute, but actually that's what I like to call optical allyship. 
Okay, well, explain that. Explain that. Yeah. So I think for so long we've talked about like diversity and inclusion in terms mm-hmm. of like how many black models there are in your campaign right. or in your fashion show, right. right? Which like is fine. And that was a valid thing in like the 80s and 90s. Yes. But for me now, I'm like, well, how many black people are in your boardroom? You know, like yeah. we need to come off of the campaign and like into the real conversation. Right. 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 Because you're just showing, you're trying to like get credit for look how inclusive we are. But if you're not supporting those marginalized communities with fucking dollars. Totally. So that they can continue to thrive, so that they can pour into their community, so that that goes further. Yes. Then it's bullshit. Right. And it's the same thing that we just talked about as with Brother Bellies, right? Because it's about like, oh, are you just putting a print on a thing? Right. Or are you actually involving the community? Right. And so – you know, it was fascinating because I'd be like, okay, look, like 40% of the people in your ads are black. You obviously see the value in speaking to that community and collaborating with that community in some way. What are you missing out on actually by not having that product assortment? And so for me, it was really about how do I start proving that diversifying your shelves is actually going to be incredibly good business? And yeah. so that's what I set out to do with the yeah. pledge. And how do you feel like that happened? Like how? Oh my gosh. Like in a million different ways. So one of the first things that we did when Sephora took the pledge was they pivoted an accelerator program that they had in the first year to really focus on black female founders. And so we now have this database, which was kicked off by this volunteer group that we have of a bunch of black-owned businesses. It's like 5,000 black-owned businesses. We make recommendations to all of our pledge takers of black-owned businesses that they should work with every quarter, et cetera. And so for the accelerator program, they took on, I think it was 10 black-owned businesses and just sort of taught them the whole ropes, which is super helpful, and gave a bunch of them the opportunity to actually get onto the shelf of Sephora. There was one girl who had not even fully launched a brand yet who was there. She ended up launching at Sephora about a year ago, and she's now one of the top five fastest growing brands in skincare. She just closed her Series A at a $100 million valuation, and she's 26 years old. What's the brand? It's called Topicals. Oh my gosh. There's another woman named Danessa Myricks who had a brand for like 10 years, and she was just like everyone called her your makeup artist's favorite makeup artist. And she's just the most incredible light, making the best product. She got onto the shelves this before and is just absolutely crushing it. Like she's going viral on TikTok every day. She has wait lists of thousands of things. It's just like cool. What we've uncovered is that there is whole underserved markets, communities, ideas, gaps, and it's just been incredibly good business. Right. And so people say to me now, like, well, are you upset that like Walmart hasn't taken the pledge? And to me, it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't um, – it's like, are you upset that Blockbuster is not around anymore? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's like if you aren't – Right. If you aren't doing what you need to do in order to keep up with the changes in the world, then, right. like, I can't worry about yeah. you. Like, yeah. Like, because not only is this the right thing to do, it's incredibly good business. Yeah, it's good business. Yeah. Absolutely. I Well, I wondered, too, as you were saying that, I was thinking about – I'm for sure going to get this wrong, Mm -hmm. but historically in this country, Mm -hmm. and I don't know how it's been in other places, that there was something – I read once that um, when things weren't segregated anymore, Mm -hmm. at least officially, but Uh in uh many ways they still are, and black Americans could shop at white businesses, Mm -hmm. that it deeply hurt 
black businesses because mm. you had a loss of support to your own community because mm. it was like we we haven't been allowed to do this mm. before and so i wonder too in putting those resources on the shelf it's not just the right business it's not just exposure to other people it's also like do you feel like there is a a resurgence of like everybody gets to know about these businesses now. Like maybe they were something that was niche because they weren't supported in a massive way. And now all of a sudden, these are fucking good because they're good products yeah. and they happen to be owned by, by black, black owners. Yeah. But now everybody gets to know about it. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Yes, you're absolutely right. I th I'd never heard that segregation story before and I think it's really fascinating. And what's interesting about that is so when that was lifted and the black people then went and shopped at the white stores, what would have been so phenomenal is if the white people had have went and shopped at the black stores. Of course. Of course. Right. Yeah. Well, and one of my best friends, Britt, uh, is the one who told me the story that it was because at that time period at a white store, they had better access to products. Right, right, right. I'm like sure it they was had different everything. products. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it was like, oh, well, I can get different things here than I can get in my own community. So yeah. I will go shop here. But then it alienated these yep. store owners. And yeah, I just think this exposure at such a higher level. Right. And not only that, but as those stories of like entrepreneurs and coming out of like, I did this thing in a market that maybe what whatever it was, um, uh, whatever the business was. Like I've created this product and it's hard enough to get it out there and it's hard enough to talk about it. And now I'm on the shelves at Target. Now I'm at Nordstrom's. Mm -hmm, now mm -hmm. because you had this idea mm -hmm. and put it on Instagram mm -hmm. and how that changes a narrative in the same way that it was like, we need to see all sorts of diversity in our ads. Mm -hmm. Now it's like a whole new generation of children go, well, I can be an entrepreneur. Totally. Maybe I can start my own business. Maybe I could do my own thing and actually see it work. Because I'm sure there's a um, such a feeling of disenfranchisement. If you're like, well, yeah, allegedly in America, I could you know, yeah. start the American dream, but who knows if anything will come of it. Right. Totally. So, yeah. Totally. It's a different it's a different ending now. It's a different story now, which is so fucking cool. I think so. Yeah. I mean, we've put six hundred black owned brands onto the shelves of our pledge takers since we started. It literally so gives amazing. me chills. I think for me, you know, when we talk about our own individual opportunities in the world, right? It's like which tables are you at and what conversations do you have the responsibility to start having? Mm. And I think what's so hard for women and people of color is that we have to fight so much harder to get to those tables. Yeah. And then it becomes a struggle sometimes just to even stay at the table, right? Because there's constantly someone that's like trying to take your seat, trying to discredit the fact that you're even there, yeah. trying to say how you got there was not the right way to be there or that you're not adding anything to the conversation that's meaningful or whatever, right? Like the critique is loud yeah. and unending and yeah. relentless. And so the idea of then doing something disruptive, right, is like almost unfathomable. And I think for me, it got to this point where it was like, okay, I'm here at this table, right? I have access to all of these things, but 
the country is in so much pain right now and my community is in so much pain right now that I actually can't fucking sit here anymore unless I say something. Right. And I actually believe, I truly believe that the people that are sitting around this table with me also want what I want, which is to have a healthier, better community, environment, country. Yeah. And you know, I talk to people every day who have a very different belief system than I do, right? And some of them, you know, are like, have all kinds of different narratives. What no one can argue with is that small business in America occupying more American shelves is good for business, Amen. period. Amen. Whether it's black, white, or otherwise, mm-hmm. right? Small business is the backbone of this country. Girl, um, <laughs> yes. I like I'm not I have said this so many times on because I speak a lot to business owners and entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. The amount of time I had have, have said that exact line. Because it is. Yes. Small businesses employ the most people in this country. We're the ones who are innovating. We're the ones like, yes, all day. Yeah. And, I mean, listen, not only does Target not have 15% of their shelf space and purchasing power going to small black-owned businesses, I do not think that they have 15% going to small American businesses. Absolutely. Period. Absolutely. And so what happens when we start holding the corporations that are in all of our neighborhoods accountable for actually supporting us, yeah. right? And as women, we hold so much power because we're spending the yes, money. Yes, absolutely. And they're terrified. So uh, I'm curious then how, wait, I have two questions that I just got too excited about this. Um, if someone's listening to this mm-hmm. and they're like, fuck, you're right. Small businesses. Yes. I want to support it. Do you have thoughts or ideas about how to encourage people to figure out if what they're buying is a small business, if it's black owned, if it's female owned, like, mm-hmm. You have the ability, actually the strongest ability, to speak your values with how you spend your money. 2,000%. So how do we even, if someone is listening to this and they're like, I've never even considered this before, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. a conscious decision and it shows up in a lot of ways. So is do you have any advice for people who are trying to incorporate yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's about like in the same way that we audit corporations, right? Like I had to audit myself. I was mm-hmm. like, I opened my fridge and I was like, oh no, right. you know, like how do I actively start seeking out businesses that are in line with my values? Yeah. And so at the pledge on Instagram, we post all the time, like different black-owned businesses, different BIPOC-owned businesses. If you like hear about a woman-owned business that you love, like follow them on Instagram, like their posts. I mean, I think my story is a testament to how powerful social media is, right? Like you don't even have to spend money sometimes to support a business. Isn't that true? Yeah. It's so true, right? Like tell a friend, buy it for someone. Think about how you're spending like your holiday budgets. Think about what you're like buying your mom for Mother's Day. Right. Well, I also, it's worth saying to, for people who are listening, to follow, I mean, 15% is such a good Instagram. I started following oh, it today. I'm not going to lie Thank and say so that much. I've like been following it for years. <laughs> but what I loved about it was that you're constantly sharing really rad businesses. You're yeah. like, hey, this is one to support. This is one to support. And I think for anyone who's listening, I thought it was cool. You're, um, you had a collection of grants Mm-hmm. That are a bit so mm-hmm. it's just like you're empowering the community in a bunch of different ways. Yeah. But there are other Instagram feeds just like yours who are doing that in the Asian community, who are doing yeah. that for women-owned businesses, who are doing it for LGBTQ plus. Like there's there's all sorts of people who are curating 
really cool knowledge and information about a community that applies to you, whoever you are. And you do have massive power with your funds. So spend them wisely. Yeah, totally. And even like Yelp is one of our pledge takers. Like you can go on to Yelp and search now for the Black-owned businesses in your neighborhood, right? It's like, okay, where are you ordering your like lunch from at the office, right? Your catering, like any of those things are an opportunity to kind of help and support. Yeah, I noticed this too. Um, Two of my best friends are black women Mm -hmm. and one of them just had a birthday and I was Mm -hmm. trying to find a place for her to get a massage Mm -hmm. and I used Yelp and I specifically look for a black owned uh, spa Mm -hmm. here in Los Angeles that I could get her a gift certificate to because I knew also that that it means more to her because of that like we're going to support the community in every way that we can and it's like it there anything you're looking for is there so it's like why not yeah yeah I think it also like deserves to be said that and you know the other thing is Rachel like I'm Canadian so it's a very different country than America right and so for me Growing up, like, I didn't have the same experience that a lot of people that look like me had in America. Mm. And so... Did you grow up in Toronto? Uh-huh. Yeah. And and between Toronto and Jamaica. Okay. And so there's a level of skepticism that I... Like, I would be like, but I don't understand. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Like, right. it's Like, it's harder in exactly which ways. Yeah. And I couldn't necessarily always put my finger on why it was harder, you know? And I've had conversation, especially early in the pandemic with a friend of mine who is another female entrepreneur who was really struggling with her business. And she was like, well, why is it harder for your business than my business? Like, we're both going through the same thing. Like, I don't understand why it's harder for you. And I think that a lot of people have that question, right? And they're afraid to ask it. And I think that for me, it's really about looking at the data, right? And there was one thing that we kind of worked on a little bit with um, McKinsey, actually, and it's this whole financial assessment of the fact that, like, very few black entrepreneurs who launch a business are able to raise money from their, quote unquote, friends and family. Like, they just don't have that network, Right. right? A lot of times they don't even have a network of people that have graduated through higher education, right, have gone through university, also, statistically speaking, their credit scores are lower. There's a lot of reasons why. Unconventional loans are also a big thing for Black entrepreneurs because they don't have guarantors to help them get more typical loans. Mm-hmm. So they'll end up spending, as a Black entrepreneur in the first five years, on average $125,000 more to launch the same business than a white entrepreneur. Wow. And that money has to come from somewhere. Right. Even when we talk about some of the loan rates that people get, like I tell this insane story in my book of like, I tried to get a $70,000 loan, which I did get. The terms on that loan were so bad, I ended up spending $1.2 million in the end to pay it off. And I carried this in silence and shame for years. And he um, actually like offered me. substantial discount to sign an NDA to not tell the story. And I didn't do it because I wanted to be able to tell the story, right? So you got a loan from an investor or – I got a loan from someone who was actually a mentor to me at the time and it was $70,000. And an interest. And then interest and fees and like it just – 
Yeah, it and it was totally legal the way that he did of it. Of course. And he was someone that I trusted and he did business with other people that I knew and I signed the contract and I just went through hell. Yeah. For 6 years. Yeah. Trying to get out of that situation. Yeah. Right? And it happens all the time because also like if you don't have capital, where are you going to get it from? Yeah. And that's like where the predators come in. Well, it's also, I, I don't know the percentage right now, but the statistics on how often a Black-owned business will get VC funding is like mm. nothing. And then if you're a woman, like it's it's non-existent. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I mean, as of um, 2019, only 39 Black women had ever raised a million dollars in venture capital or more. Wow. I mean, could you imagine? It's like I don't even have words, and I love that you said it goes back to data. Yes. Because you're like, this is not – your emotions can come out of this. This is not an opinion. This is – these are facts. These are facts. This is what is true. It's deeply unfair. If you can't drive around in any major city and see a difference in neighborhoods Mm -hmm. and – and associate the difference in neighborhoods to whatever culture is existing inside of it and not understand that the people in one community have very different access, resources, education system, teachers, police force, all the shit that exists in this part of town doesn't exist in this one and not understand the disparity there and not like, oh, it's it's ridiculous for me to sit here and be emotional about it because it's like, I love what you did because it's action. Right. It's action and it's action that empowers people through finances. Right. Which is like, don't don't go build a well. Right, exactly. Don't go build a well. Right. Give them the money. Like, and not even give them the money. Find out what Fucking they want to do. The yeah. business right. that they are working at right. so they can do the thing that they want to do. Right. And if they want to build the well, then right. they'll build the well. Right. But empower them to make decisions for right. themselves so that they can have the dignity to do what they want to do because they know themselves right. best. Right. I think, you know, it's fascinating because you're getting emotional about it. I get emotional about it. I'm an extremely emotional person with cancer. So, <laughs> you know, and as women, right, the thing that they've used for years to discredit us as women, as intelligent women, is – You're emotional. You're You're emotional. emotional. So we have to be data girls. Right. God, you're so right. Right? You are so fucking right. Right. Like literally I had to become a data girl because no one would listen to me unless I presented statistics with it. Right? And so I think because I'm actually an incredibly intuitive person, Mm -hmm. but people don't care about intuition. Right. 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 (laughs) Like in a business sense, they don't. So you have to just dig into the data to be like, yeah, and this. Yeah. Right? Yeah. God. I just want to acknowledge this because very few people get it, and you you have intuitively done this. Mm-hmm. So many people come on the show because mm-hmm. they know that the audience are massive readers, mm-hmm. and they'll come, and the whole time they're like, and my book, and in my book, and mm-hmm. here's a data, and mm-hmm. well, like they'll just keep going back to the book, the book, the book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what I want to say to people is what you did so perfectly, which mm-hmm. is just be yourself mm. and be wonderful and you are just interesting and magical and have amazing stories mm. and everyone will want to read your book oh, because they want to get to know you better. 
So will you tell everybody about yeah. the book and why you wanted to write it and they're going to go buy it immediately? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so fascinating that people come on and do that because I think for me, it's like so terrifying to talk about it. Yes. I agree. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to sell you anything. I'm right. just like, if you think I'm cool, I wrote some words down. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, it's hard to um, write a memoir when you're not like a 70-year-old white man, right? Like that, those are really like the only people that have historically been allowed to right, do that kind of thing. Right. But I'm really trying to claim it. Yeah. And I think... How old are you? 38. Okay, 38. I'm not, I'm horrible at math, so I couldn't do the math Yeah, in my head, no, it's okay. It's yeah. okay. It's okay. And I think for me, I just wanted people to know that I'm like deeply flawed. <laughs> yeah. You know, and that like... It's okay to be deeply flawed and like still have dreams. Yeah. And that those dreams are valid. Yeah. And that you can get shit done and you can use those flaws to be like, okay. Yeah. This is what the solve could be. Right. Right. And that you don't have to make sure that everything's perfect before you put it out there. Yeah. And hopefully that we can also be like a little bit more gentle with each other too. A lot of my book is about like, my mom, who's the most brilliant woman in the world, but like deeply flawed in like all the same ways. I'm sure that I'm deeply flawed too. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And just really like how we can like get on the same ship together yeah. as women and yeah. like try to get to the destination that I think that we all are kind of trying to go. Yeah. You know? And um, when I was really little, my mom and I used to always do these like arts and crafts projects and she would take me outside and she would pull all these like wildflower seeds in these little packets and we would make these things called seed bombs. Do you know what those are? Mm -mm. It's like you take wildflower seeds and you use clay and you use dirt and you kind of roll it all together into a ball. And then we would drive around and we would look for like abandoned plots of land and then we'd take these seed bombs and we'd whip them out the window into the field. How cool. And a couple weeks later, we would come back and we would look and there would just be like beautiful wildflowers growing this little patch where we threw this seed bomb. Wow. And she was like, anytime that you see something that's ugly, you have to think about what love you can throw at it in order to make that thing more beautiful, you know? And every dark spot should actually just read as an opportunity. Mm. And I feel that way about humans. I feel that way about institutions. I feel that way about difference in opinion. I feel that way about human connection. It's like there's all and only opportunity there. Yeah. It's never worth just like throwing out or pushing to the side. Like you can sow more love into that thing and it can also reap something for you too. Yeah. And so the book is just really about like, how I've kind of taken a number of different experiences in my life and like kind of tried to turn it around to the best of my ability. And I think having worked in fashion for so long, like now the vice president of CFDA, which is crazy, <laughs> right? It's like, okay, uh, Tom Ford and then me. Like yeah. it's just confusing. But there's so many ideas about what it means to be a fashion designer. And I think the people who knew me were like, just assumed that I probably came from a certain type of background. And the reality is like, no, I definitely like, dropped out of high school and like went to jail and like you know you can still like carve the future that you want and not spend your whole life feeling like an imposter yeah damn uh where can they get the book 
Oh my gosh, I think like everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Hopefully. Is it wildflowers or wildflower? Wildflower. Yeah. Yeah. Aurora, this has been such a blessing. Like Aww, I was so you. tired this afternoon. Mm. I was like drinking coffee to wake up and I just feel like so lucky that I got to sit with mm. you for this time. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for yeah. having me. It means oh. so much. And like the audience is, I just know, I can always feel it when I'm like, they're going to be obsessed. This Aww. is such, you have shared such incredible wisdom on like eight levels for business owners, for women who feel uh, like they don't have any autonomy or power. They feel yeah. like they can't make change. I'm sure there's a few dudes who are inspired by you too, but um, yeah. Thank you for the time. Oh my gosh. I'm just so proud I didn't cry. You did. <laughs> I mean, I cried. <laughs> you cried. You cried. The Rachel Hollis podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.